In this episode, we talk to Aditya Kulkarni. Aditya is the founder of Stoa School, an alternative to MBA. Stoa has taken an interesting approach to business education in India. So we decided to pick Aditya's brains for lessons in future relevance from his own journey, experience in building Stoa, and insights into community building. Aditya shared many valuable lessons that will be useful for many people in our audience for a founder who's trying to build a team that has a sense of belonging an educator trying to develop an online learning community or someone interested in the future of education and learning we also spoke regarding the slightly senior folks or middle managers as they say how should they think about leveraging communities like this as well as how startups can leverage their expertise this chat is packed with a lot of insights i hope you find it as useful as i did and by the way remember to subscribe to our show on whatever platform you're getting this on that way you'll get notified when we publish a new episode and rate us or write a short review or leave a comment it helps others like you discover us you should also subscribe to the up leveler our weekly newsletter on our website choose to think.com and find choose to think on telegram where we share stories articles discount codes and prompts to help you up level for future relevance this is the ctq smartcast where we have conversations about up leveling deliberate practice and getting future relevant hi welcome aditya welcome to the ctq smartcast thank you thank you harish uh, pleasure to be here and uh, you know look forward to an interesting conversation over next or you know whatever time we spend together yeah <laughs> sure yeah good good that you left it open ended because there are a lot of interesting things that i want to pick your brains on so when i you know uh, read about stoa school and what you've been doing there were a lot of questions you know that that came to mind but let me just start with something which sort of uh, gives a preface to what is going to follow so you know what is the whole philosophy and the meta thinking around you know you setting up uh, stoa school sure so uh, largely we feel that uh, you know as internet penetration goes up and what we have seen play out on the consumer social side will also play out on the education side which means you can actually create institutions in the cloud uh, and these are like asset light institutions no physical campus no permanent faculty because they sort of operate from a low cost base they will be able to do a much better job of education at a fraction of a cost that typical traditional institutions do uh, while ensuring better learning outcomes ensuring better career opportunities and so on and so forth right so i mean we we'll don't look at this space as like building another edtech company we genuinely feel that like these internet native education brands will become the institutions in themselves right so that is our take uh, i mean that is sort of like the overall picture like internet native education institutions the good thing about these institutions are they'll be much more nimble much more responsive to what is happening in market right and they'll probably iterate on their curriculum their mode of delivery the way they approach education every 6 months compared to let's say every 5 years or every 10 years right that a typical traditional institution mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. what it will also allow is to create a, a sort of open door policy for uh, industry professionals to come and teach and then go away and maybe come back and teach and go away mm-hmm. right and in that sense industry academia won't won't be siloed right it won't like you know it will essentially merge the academia and the industry the work and learning these things are sort of will merge and i think covid only accelerated that in that mm-hmm. sense but mm-hmm. we'll discuss about you know 
how we got started maybe uh, once we dive in right right so uh, is is uh, is there a specific niche audience that you are looking at as people who will get the maximum value out of stoa school is it for the tech entrepreneurs uh, you know founders co-founders kind of market only or is there a larger base because you know i read that this you primarily aiming at people becoming better at decision making uh, in sure. business so so that would involve everyone from you know people working in established roles even people who have done their mbas can you talk a bit about that as well yeah so i mean it's a design choice right where we have started and we primarily right now uh, serve people who have already started their professional journey and don't see a traditional mba as an option for whatever reasons right like maybe they already have enough number of years uh, enough number of years of experience behind them so mba doesn't make sense maybe there are certain family constraints or economic constraints why they can't take two years off uh, and then there is the whole question on roi and like you know, if, if i join an early stage startup and grow with the company i'm anyway going to grow much faster than let's say going to an mba hmm. uh, very interesting story so manoj who is uh, one of my co-founders at toa you know he, he took a break from work he got mba admit and then he went to work for swiggy hmm. uh, set up i think uh, he was one of the earliest members at uh, swiggy Right. and till date he regrets that decision to go for an mba so imagine 2015 he was at swiggy uh, nandi is uh, our batchmate from bit she has tried us here manoj was working at swiggy and then he decided to go do an mba hmm. from ut austin hmm. and i think he regrets that to the and one of the reasons why he even joins to i is like you know i don't want what happened to me right. or the decision that i made hmm. uh, happened hmm. to him but you are right in general if we have to uh, sort of build this economy and Sort of, let's say, create an Indian dream in that sense. Hmm. Uh, we need much better talent. We need a lot more people entering the tech ecosystem, uh, which is which continues to be our focus. And when they enter, they don't. Uh, I mean, if they have to grow with the industry and they have to sort of build this together, they need to be better decision makers, not just in their professional life, but also in their personal lives, right? Like, so if you see all the jumping around that is going on, let's say, when it comes to developers right now. Right. I mean, it may be good for them in the short term because, Correct. of course, if salaries are going up and up mm. and up. But at some point of time, this musical chair need will stop, right? And I'm guessing it will stop. So, when we say better decision making, we just don't mean in the business sense. We also mean it in general, like you know, when it comes to your personal lives. And I think that is why Stoa is not just a business institution. A lot of conversations we have. or what our community has between uh, them beyond just like immediate business and you know some personal clarity a career path do i really want to be an entrepreneur do i like you know do i even want to work at a startup right hmm. and uh, when we measure the success of what we do uh, it is as much about whether some person was able to make let's say a transition into tech ecosystem versus somebody deciding not to pursue entrepreneurship hmm. and i think that's a great success too right like if somebody right. goes through our six month program and realizes they are not ready that's a good outcome in my opinion because then they would have saved few months few lakhs but yeah in general uh, we have started with this niche tech alternate mba people who don't want to go for traditional mba but in general the way this industry is evolving is it will encompass all the professional courses that actually uh, sort of are pathway to great careers right. and like you know if if you just look outside of the there is 10k designers who is doing like the design education newton school masai school uh, who are doing like you know uh, tech education for people who are coming out of colleges and they will become and i'm pretty sure newton and masai will become 
like a university or college in themselves at some point of time. Then you have Scalar, uh, which is slightly pivoted away from the undergraduates to people who are already in tech roles and so on and so forth. So this whole ecosystem is getting built right now, right? And we are still in maybe year one or year two of this mm. ecosystem. Mm. And my sense is this will play out over next a decade or two, uh, where all these names will essentially become institutions. Right, right. Yeah. So so when, when you talked about these other alternatives uh, as well, you know, what do you think is going on in the minds of, you know, people who are taking up these courses or programs, whatever you want to call it uh, today, right? Uh, because these people are definitely, uh, you know, thinking about their future relevance. They're exploring different options. There is clearly a sense of dissatisfaction with what is the incumbent uh, alternative, which is why they are uh, exploring these options. But I'm sure there will be some apprehension. So if there is, you know, something that you can talk about how you have allayed these apprehensions for people or, you know, what have people come to you saying, so this is what I'm I'm looking for as a way to address this apprehension. What could that be if, if you can talk about that? Yeah, so when it comes from, let's say, career perspective, right? Like people are clear that these options are clearly better. Where things sort of got pulled back is, you know, the societal aspect or the social perception. So for example, uh, Stoa's MBA, it is not a recognized degree. We don't even offer a diploma, uh, which means, uh, what do you tell your parents? Right? Let's assume that your parents are paying for it they are never going to agree to paying for a non-accredited then there's the whole marriage market like you know uh, for example can you go today and say i did my mb but i did it from stoa school which is this online internet thing and i did not actually you know go and spend two years at a campus like is that really acceptable to people uh, that is one second thing that i uh, that is a challenge in some sense is uh, people still look at some of these programs from a cost angle Right, which is hey, this is not an investment that we are making in ourselves, but this is like a top up over like you know I have already spent four years in an engineering college, I spent twenty lakhs there. Uh, do I really want to spend another two lakh, two and a half lakhs, let's say on scalar or mm. or, or signing up this ISA or mm. what actually happens here is even though we are creating much more value than let's say in most colleges are creating, we still are looked at as a cost side of things because yeah, I've already spent, you know, 20 lakhs and like this is here is additional top up of two lakh. And I think those mindsets will take some time to change, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, one of the things we get at Stoa is, hey, this is like a six month part-time internet thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so why is it two and a half lakh rupees, right? Uh, so that's a very cost centric perspective in terms of, you know, almost calculating the, these guys are like, you know, daily wage earners and I need to pay them by the hour or something like that. It's not a value perspective. And in general, I think because people have been burned by the traditional education system, they are also skeptical in terms of, oh, like, will, will this program live up to my expectations? Second, am I competent enough to sort of go through the program? Let's say if I'm going through Stowe or if I'm going through Newton, Am I going to stay motivated? Right? So there's a lot of self-doubt uh, in that sense. So there are all these interesting aspects that are playing out right now. And I'm pretty sure, you know, uh, we are all trying to figure out how to address those concerns. Uh, but primarily, it is the recognition and, uh, you know, the degree diploma angle, which I think and the, the regulations will probably liberal. I mean, you know, they will go in, in that sense. They will be liberalized in that sense. Right. Uh, is my sense because if you look at the other uh, OPMs, like let's look at upgrade, look at uh, great learning, 
they have taken a very different approach, which is also valid, which is we will tie up with existing institutions. And that is the way we will sort of issue a degree or diploma. If you look at Sunstone, for example, which is in the same MBA market, uh, they have taken that approach, right? Like we will issue a postgraduate diploma uh, by tying up with existing institutions. Whereas if you look at us, we have deliberately taken a different approach thing. We will build Stoa as a brand and we want Stoa to be, become some sort of signal and we are willing to work towards that for 10 years, 20 years. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think I went on a rant there, but all these aspects, right, in terms of how society perceives these programs, how hiring partners uh, perceive these programs. So, for example, we know that startups don't care whether it's Stoa or IM because they're going to hire the competent person for the job. Hmm. Look at traditional corporate, I'm still sure that, you know, like somebody who puts Stoa on their resume may not pass the HR uh, whatever filter screening, right? <laughs> screening, yeah, HR screening. <laughs> Yeah, things, things, as I said, right, this is still maybe a year one, year two of all these cohort-based programs or online programs. And over time, they will build recognition, you know, also depends on what talent comes in and how we build our business models around building credibility with the hiring partners. That right. right. Good yeah. talent. Yeah. This is very interesting, you know, what, what you mentioned, Aditya, because uh, we, we recorded an episode with somebody from Coursera. Uh, so he had a, a you know, a a slightly nuanced uh, take on on this right so i was asking him the same thing about uh, with the plethora of certificates that i see on linkedin these days uh, you know does that credential really mean anything because everyone posts some uh, certificate or the other on uh, linkedin so he said yeah it is the same challenge even for us i mean we've got some you know we, we have the the so called uh, institutions uh, backing you know, or giving their stamp uh, on the certificates but eventually you have to show what you have done and that's mm-hmm. where the whole uh, notion of the portfolio uh, comes in right yeah. and that's very interesting in what you are uh, doing because like you said these designers have always had this notion of portfolio you can you know create a portfolio of what you have done you have something like a github for the for the techies uh, to actually show what they have done but when you talk about business, unless you have actually, you know, tried a, your hand at setting up some whatever t-shirt printing business or something or the other in your college days, it's very difficult for these entrepreneurs to actually have something like a portfolio of what have they done and what have they learned. And I'm seeing this as a, a, a potential alternative to that, right? That I've done something. I mean, people these days even record podcasts as a way of you know, articulating what they have learned. So what is your take on, on this for, for the entrepreneurs and business uh, people, yeah. basically? So, I mean, what you're saying, right? right? Actually, I, I think there is a better word than portfolio. It is proof of work. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my general sense is any way you choose to sort of show proof of work, it is not, it does, most of the ways you show proof of work gets commoditized very fast. Hmm. and uh, you can't actually build a competitive advantage right like now right. you have so many people doing podcasts you have so many people like you know building something using no code tool to signal and so on and so forth so just like a resume or whatever all these things like let's say cold emailing right all of these things get commoditized uh, very fast but it is important right and that is where a sort of trend surfing could help right like even though i mean i'm not sure if, if it is good when it comes to let's say careers but at least when it comes to showing proof of work, what are the newer trends in terms of showing your competence? Hmm. So uh, one of the changes we made at uh, Stoha's program very recently 
was earlier we used to have these small breakout rooms within the live sessions where people would go and apply what they have learned you know in a 10 minute maybe 30 minute breakout room mm. and we realized that even though it was creating value for the individual learners it was not creating proof of work right mm. so we said like let's remove the breakout rooms from live sessions let live sessions be more about you know learning the concept maybe understanding what are the practical use cases how somebody else has done it and now we started doing case weekends which is like a 24 hour competition of thoughts within the cohort mm. you have a business problem you work on it you make the presentation you make the presentation in whatever format if you want to record a podcast you do that if you want to rap to a song that's fine if you want to prepare ppt that's also fine right but create a proof of work mm. right mm. yeah i mean i totally agree that a proof of work is important the other thing certificates right what you mentioned going back to course example I think the traditional institutions have just deepened their brand by issuing certificates left, right, and center. Right, like if you go to LinkedIn, for example, you will have all these people claiming that, um, hey, I am like an IIM alumni, or I am like a Bits alumni. Hmm. You go and double click on the profile, you realize he, like, it, I mean, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, being on campus, being like part of the, let's say, flagship is still very different, and mm-hmm. that plays out internally within these communities as well, right? Like, so for example, if I'm part of Bits community and somebody approaches and says, "Hey, I'm Bits alumni," and this and that, thing, mm-hmm. I'm sensing most Bits alumni will go and check on LinkedIn what program they were part of, and if they're not part of the flagship undergrad program, the interaction is very different. It plays out very differently mm-hmm. versus if somebody was an undergrad uh, participant. I mean, people are generally helpful, no doubt about it. Right. I'm just saying that uh, the perception of these cheapened certificates, right? Correct. Uh, mm-hmm. And to me, it has also started. I mean, this is a very strictly personal opinion. To me, a lot of certificates now signal something negative about the person, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're just collecting and collecting these uh, whatever uh, certificates from all over the place, Stanford, Harvard, I am this and that. I'm really like. I mean, I would rather see growth in this person's career and the responsibilities they're taking at an organization rather than like what certificates they have. Because I'm pretty sure we learn much more at our job than watching videos on the internet. So it's just a personal thing, right? Like now, when I two days back, you know, I visited one profile and the education section was just not ending. Hmm. <laughs> All these. I'm, I I also think that in some sense. those act as counter signals if you're overdoing certifications right right yeah yeah and and generally on on that note if you were to advise someone who's you know looking at adding something on on the knowledge front uh, via certifications or or anything like that what would be your you know goldilocks ratio or approach that you would advise in terms of uh, knowledge and application i would go for application you know 100% like i practically i think see if it is just about knowledge you don't even need coursera or you don't need need stoa you don't need anyone you just need youtube if knowledge is something you are after you should actively pursue opportunities where you can actually learn to apply and this has played out in how we have also changed our curriculum over time right like so we are just 9 months since we launched the program and we have undergone already i guess three iterations hmm. right and uh, yeah so i would do any certification or i would do any cohort based program or anything only for application mm-hmm. because knowledge is abundant if you really care you know it's it's there like content is free 
right and i guess youtube is the best university in that sense because mm-hmm. you can have the best of professors on youtube right you don't even need to go and purchase let's say a 10 dollar udemy course or whatever uh, mm-hmm. any subscription to coursera knowledge is really free you should actively find out opportunities where you can uh, get to apply right so i mean that that's yeah that that's my something right like i i wouldn't pay for any certification or anything to pick up mm-hmm. knowledge because knowledge right. is really cheap Mm-hmm. and and uh, what would be your take on how people should um, you know think about application at different stages of their career i'll i'll give you the context from where this question popped in my mind so you know we uh, help companies uh, develop this culture of innovation entrepreneurship right so usually what we see is in these hackathons it's the youngsters you know the the fresh grads who are like full enthu and you know they're sitting through the weekend and and uh, coding something the the senior people usually you know 30 35 plus who have great experience knowledge they are like smes in fact they'll be in some companies there are these consultants who are being approached by their clients to just come and give gyan that's all because they they are that good and they are not being leveraged internally in these hackathons so in lot of companies what we've done is we've actually said these guys should be like these you know almost like angel investors the the knowledge of these senior people with the legs of the younger uh, folks you can actually combine and then you can you know create something because these people will have the right kind of network uh, any interesting idea they'll say go talk to that person in the company or i will introduce you to this client and that's the value that these people don't have uh, you know so that's how we've said everyone can contribute in their own way uh, to uh, you know to building that culture of uh, innovation and entrepreneurship in the company so now when you talk about uh, people trying to do this uh, you know one of the ways in which people can help is go tell a you know tell a startup that see i am available please come mm-hmm. and use my uh, experience right because that's where then i can also uh, apply uh, what i'm talking about we we get some sense of apprehension from these people that hey i don't know where to go and actually offer my services mm-hmm. uh, i don't know whether these startup entrepreneurs will be willing to take Uh, you know my advice and you as a third party you know that you know these people have that <laughs> knowledge what is your take on that i mean do you see this happening more and do you in your programs also see these entrepreneurs saying that this is the kind of knowledge that i wish i had but you know i i don't know to hire that person i don't know to get them in as an advisor but these are people there working in all these large mncs who have great knowledge expertise but that's not being tapped sure so uh, here are uh, two angles to this right so one let's look from this person who is working at the mnc and then let us look at from the other angle where somebody needs uh, the experience that uh, these people have now when it comes to these people who are, who are working at mnc right and even if they want to advise unless the problem challenges you or you know the space excites you uh, i don't think you are going to feel good about giving advice because they- just let's say somebody working at slack or mindtickle and so on and so forth i'm pretty sure any company building in b2b sales slack something like that those people are going to benefit hugely from you know just these people's knowledge about what competition does what are the practical problems of a sales force or uh, you know how do us clients so for example if you're building out of india and you have never been to us you don't know right correct how- territorial alignment happens and how sales people work what are the problems they face what is the ramp up problems and so on and so forth so i'm pretty sure anybody within these b2b saas companies uh, or not even saas companies like right? infosys with code tcs whatever 
they are going to have very specific domain knowledge that a lot of startups could benefit from. Now, how do we sort of, uh, you know, broker this? Right. Yeah. Let's yeah. And towards that, what I found very interesting is the role that AngelList is playing. Correct. And uh, if you are uh, investing on AngelList and you get access to uh, this deal flow, maybe, you know, there are people like Webadom Kundwar, if you look at uh, mm. Kushal, Kushal mm. of and all these uh, syndicates, mm. right? They have some of the best deal flows and a lot of young entrepreneurs who are working through you know, who are raising from Better and Perchek and 100FPC and so on and so forth. That's a great place for people to not only discover where they can help, but actually take a bet if you real, I mean, if you feel the problem is valid. If you're part of the syndicate, I'm pretty sure that whoever is leading the syndicate is going to be more than happy to make the connection. Right. Hmm. Right. And in that context, I think Angelus is a great place to be that broker between entrepreneurs and people with experience. And not only you are giving advice, but you are literally putting skin in the game, maybe whatever, two, three lakhs or five lakhs of that particular company. Mm-hmm. Now, where I see things not working out, and uh, I've seen this, mm-hmm. is people approach entrepreneurs and then say, hey, like, you know, I'm good at tech, I know this industry, this, that, and I want like advisory equity. Mm-hmm. That just breaks, like even before the relationship is formed, it just right. breaks because... Mm-hmm. Increasingly, what I'm seeing from people who are in traditional industries is the expectation is advisory equity. And that actually creates significant problems for the entrepreneurs when they're trying to raise around. Why have you seen this person, 2%, 3%? And then everybody who comes after has that expectation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right? And then it becomes a very complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. I would, and that is where I would say that Angel is put your skin in the game. Right, you have much better chance of making a significant amount of money by being a advisor and shareholder rather than just see. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that should be the primary motive. Also, right? Like, right. I'm pretty sure some of these senior folks can build significant software businesses themselves, maybe mm-hmm. in few years down the line when they're mm-hmm. ready, and so on and so forth. So I would ideally try to maximize my luck surface area. Mm-hmm. That, just talking to more entrepreneurs trying to be helpful and so on and so forth. Now let's look from the other side, which is entrepreneurs, right? A lot of times entrepreneurs feel that, oh, these big competitors, like for example, I'm building something in sales. Why would somebody at Mindtickle help me, right? Like wouldn't that be a competition and so on and so forth. But what I've literally found is there are all these small, small pockets of opportunities, which these new firms don't want to pursue or go after. Mm. And if you're building in that space, these people are more than happy because it, not only helps them understand what are the pain points they are not addressing, but at some point of time, a potential strategic partnership could evolve, right? Like, so uh, yeah, in general, I think entrepreneurs anyway reach out, right? Like, because <laughs> they have their lives on. Yeah. On, but uh, from the other side, this is how I would approach. Right. Yeah. But I, I think that 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 there has to be that systematic pace for creating that exchange. Right, yeah. which which I think Angelist is is great uh, at, at doing. We've in fact, you know, in, at one company we created an internal Angelist kind of a thing where we said you, right. you know, uh, everyone won't be able to do this innovation work work, but uh, you can offer advice. So you, you know, we in fact created an internal Kickstarter kind of a thing where instead of money you actually volunteer time that I have whatever three hours of 
marketing effort you know i can do good storytelling for uh, you know whatever hackathon idea that you have and things like that so angelist i think is is a great you know platform next time anyone who comes to me <laughs> with that question i'm definitely you know advising them to go and uh, you know join some of these syndicates that's so coming back to stoa aditya what is your take on the whole peer learning and community based learning aspect of you know what you're doing yeah so the first thing right like all this cohort based peer learning based or community based it's really not new right like learning learning even in what happens in college today is largely peer led right like bits or iit i am assuming has like few great professors and a lot of long tail of average or not so good professors and you learn more in your hostels in, rather than your classrooms in most cases right so it's it's not a new concept now what is new here is not being in the same physical space and not having that extended period of 4 years or 2 years of have fights and yeah, i mean the whole the whole absorption and soaking of the whole experience yeah. right and that could be both beneficial i mean i mean there are pros and cons of both right which really means that you are at best behavior in online communities especially if it is like you know you're not going to fight off some ego battle uh even though i mean you i'm guessing as you scale you will see those as well in these communities where you know some couple of people maybe started dating and things went wrong right there is real possibility of that mm. and i think the younger folks are really good at building relationships in the virtual world in fact they may not be so good i'm guessing at building relationships in the offline world especially like whoever has gone through their first and second year of college through these last two years I, I'm like really curious how they are going to adjust back to the real world, right? Because they would have gotten used to seeing their classmates on a Zoom and maybe chatting, I don't know, on Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever. And in general, I think as people are coming through this digital space, right, where kids are now have their iPhones and so on and so forth, much earlier than like I remember when I went to college in 2005, I only got uh, my desktop in my second semester. Hmm. right and i'm guessing that whatever 18 year getting a desktop has now come back to maybe you know like a fourth year uh, i mean plus four or plus five kid having yeah. a computer and yeah. internet so these people are inherently internet native hmm. okay in that context what happens online is very interesting right because if you go to the larger internet you uh, i mean you can of course go to reddit but it is largely pseudo anonymous and you know there is real possibility that uh, some abuse might happen and so on and so forth whereas these niche communities that are forming now right like cohort based programs what they really do a good job of is bringing together people with similar interests hmm. and actually providing structure to interactions hmm. right uh, if you i mean you can go to omegle also and just talk to random strangers on the hmm. internet but what these programs really do is they bring together and that is why you know a lot of effort goes in curation of communities and making sure that you're getting the right people in uh, and that is something special about this new model of education because right. i think even coursera or the earlier versions of online education did not really care as much about you know who is coming together and how can they build relationships and how can they benefit from each other hmm. whereas this whole new way we look at maven if you look at on deck if you look at us if you look at you know 10k designers what we are really doing is we are curating the right set of people to come together and go through a journey of maybe 3 months 6 months 9 months 8 weeks 12 weeks like so timeline varies right 
and then really compress you know what would come out of four years into that whatever six six months or three months and provide structures for those relationships to get built because if you look at stoa i think our program is six months by the end of second or third month people have already found friends they are already hanging out with those friends outside of what we are doing right and we don't even have visibility at times in terms of all this uh, underground community building that is happening which is not being done by us of course initially we have to sort of take a lot of load in terms of arranging events and so on and so forth and then it just flows right yeah i mean just to summarize my point right this is not something new what is new here is just that this is happening in a meta i mean metaverse or in the internet and in the cloud rather than in person right and that has its own pros and cons so um, you know two parts to my question okay let me ask it as separate questions only so first is how should people probably of you know your generation my generation who like you said didn't start off their careers in a digital native internet native world uh, but are sort of tuned into you know all all these kind of things they know uh, what they are you know what are the latest things that are happening you know as a member of this community what would your advice be to people who are joining these kind of communities of how should they maximize this because they're slightly at an adva- disadvantage as compared to you know uh, somebody who's probably 22 23 yeah. or whom this is a natural way of life whereas somebody who's maybe 30 35 plus uh, how, how do you uh, you know what would your advice be to them yeah so i think it comes down to a lot of self coaching and before you join these communities right so i'll give you two specific examples from stoa hmm. use discord for our uh, right. uh, whatever community server hmm. Hmm. and it's just overwhelming anybody on the other side of 30 even when we start started doing discord for me it was like what is this dark mode and why are there so many channels and what is this panel on hmm. and on and forth right so a lot of cognitive overload the way to uh, sort of manage that is twofold one uh, sort of hold back judgment hmm. which means you know don't make quick assessments of what is going on and what people are doing and what people are saying just hold on get like you know and second manage your cognitive overload in terms of if there are let's say 50 channels just figure out what interests you and if you are just spending time on those two three channels for example is uh, good enough other aspect of it is uh, self coaching that i have something to learn from these people hmm. right so for example i personally feel that over last 12 months as i worked with maraj sharma and shetan all these people are about 25 and 33 i would have never imagined myself like i i see significant self growth in terms of understanding this customer base or consumer base what is happening in these people's hmm. lives what do, what are their perception of the world how do they think of let's say opportunities and so on and so forth so for example i was never comfortable with let's say no code tools i haven't even heard of that it's because of i started working with these folks that i even came to know and now i can't imagine let's say hiring an agency to do my website ever right because i i personally feel i can just go and build it in not a bubble or webflow or like so so yeah just being open minded understanding that you are going to face cognitive overload and being ready for that cognitive overload even the way people converse right like so for example i'm not sure how many of us are okay especially if we, we have become parents like you know <laughs> community and people using their words right left and center 
the whole conversation being something like gifs and uh, you know memes and so on and so forth so it takes a while uh, to be used to but i think if you if you open minded you you sort of understand right? like finally these people even in their early 20s pretty interesting right like and uh, they're not as shallow as some some of the like you know it's case with every generation right like everybody right. in 40s things are aajkal ke bacche so uh, if you hold that back i think you you normally have a good time and um, there, there have been some I, i would tell you something right in soa to our cohorts the funniest people in all our cohorts are actually probably the oldest guys in the cohort right so i remember from our cohort when neeraj neeraj has about 13 14 years of experience at john deere mm. he was amazingly funny and in our current cohort we have anand from capgemini and uh, he's you know and in fact we this case weekend he was probably the funniest guy because they did a role play which none of the other guys did it like a the younger folks were still doing ppt and like you know and this and that and uh, anand anurag and uh, some of these folks who are senior in the community they went for a totally yolo approach and they said like we are going to be in the board room and play the mem- like you know roles of board members and they projected whatever the scenario we were talking about much better just in terms of presentation format right mm-hmm. it was interesting to see that i mean yeah it was, it was interesting to see that uh, these people these people are funny right like these are not like serious corporate uh, or of folks who have lost humor and right they're still funny and uh, it's interesting yeah yeah that's i think the the part you mentioned about uh, you know cognitive uh, overload is highly underrated people don't understand you know the damage it can do uh, and you know how important is it to take control of that or rather at least have some have some kind of rationalization of that cognitive overload right i think that that's that's a very uh, you know important point that that you brought uh, out there so the second question that i had was as a community manager right what are your insights around you know how to create and make this community thrive and flourish the reason why i ask that is not just uh, you know from from the point of view of someone who's actually running something like a stoa school but these days if you think about it whether it's your personal brand or whether you are you know in a large corporate where you are responsible for you know creating a group the whole notion of community building has become extremely important whatever you you know whatever cause that you're talking about there has to be some sense of community building because that's when people will go that extra mile to do something otherwise it's going to be just a a tick mark for uh, most people so having that belief in that community what lessons can you know listeners draw from what you have been doing in whatever they are doing whether it's a you know it, it's about running their company or you know about themselves or an ngo that they believe in that's that's the you know reason for this question sure so uh, firstly let me just say that my team is far better at this than like you know i don't take much credit for the way stoa community has shaped up it's like largely people like shelton nikaya niraj who have driven thought leadership when it comes to hmm. building community but from what i see there are a few things that really are important to understand about community building whether for a course or within organization right uh, there is this book by david spinks and the title is very interesting so community you are essentially in the business of belonging and creating that sense of belonging amongst all the community members now if you look at community from that angle that i want to create a feeling or create sort of sense that i belong to this place 
Uh, what are the things you would ideally aim for? You would aim for people being vulnerable, uh, you know, being able to express uh, whatever uh, they want to say or uh, discuss and so on and so forth. That is one angle. The other angle is I want to find at least few people like myself in the community who are maybe thinking the same way, have the same interests and so on and so forth. And lastly, uh, not breaking down community. And that is equally important. Yeah, I mean, we mostly approach this from like a positive angle in terms of oh, let's get people to belong. Uh, but you also need to be actively thinking what is it that will break down this sense of belonging. The times that we live in, for example, the political opinions are like, you know, highly uh, polarized and there are really no centrists in that sense. Which means if you're a community manager, you really need to be thinking about what are the guardrails hmm. or what's the, uh, what are the things that are acceptable to discuss within this community, what are the things that are not acceptable and saying that uptrend, right? So, for example, one of the things we have avoided at STOA is just getting into political arguments. And people may say, oh, freedom of expression, this and that. But within the boundaries of this community, we are deliberately saying, because we know that this will lead to breakdown of the community, that this is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Right? So setting rules upfront in terms of what is acceptable behavior, what is not acceptable behavior, and not just laying down it as a rule, but explaining the reasoning right, um, behind why you are making this rule. Uh, so rules is important. Second, rituals are important. What are the common touch points where everybody sort of gathers together? Because there might be some browning motion and some chaos and you know some self-organized chaos within every community, right? Because that is the best way communities form. If you force a lot of structure, then community actually doesn't form. You need to have common touch points or rituals where everybody comes together and then is free to go and explore and then come back for another uh, ritual, right? In our case, it is the Thursday night events that happen every alternate week. Just speed meetings, like or a quiz night or game night. And it is just fun. And people are not expected to prepare and come and just hang around, go in small breakout rooms, maybe compete as a team and so on and so forth. That Thursday night is something like a ritual for us. And the great actually inspiration you can take is from the religious or quasi-religious organization. Right? Like if you look at church, that Sunday morning mass is such a pivotal, I mean, you know, it's almost like a central piece of that whole community. If you look at Art of Leaving, that short Kriya or maybe coming together for long Kriya, that's such a uh, fundamental, you know, part of uh, that thing. Or if you look at Vipassana, for example, just that shared experience of, I mean, I might have done Vipassana in Puri and somebody might have done it in America. But we have that shared experience that both of us went through that 10 days of silence. Hmm. And these memories of shared pain are equally important when you come to, when it comes to building community, right? Like there has to be that element of something being hard, something being difficult, something being painful. And going through that shared experience actually tightens the community bond much better if you look at, for example, now I'm just thinking, if you look at US Navy SEALs, there are these videos on uh, YouTube about, you know, how they go through mm-hmm. seven days and they're made to stand in some, uh, you know, dal dal for 24 hours and all of that. It might seem like, you know, this is extreme, but the purpose of that community or, you know, is something entirely different. And in that context, it makes sense for them to put through that pain. Right. For us, 
it was very interesting because this was the first case weekend the weekend that just went by people were up until 3 o'clock 4 o'clock and then came back for presentations at 10 right and i'm pretty sure whoever went through that community experience and stayed up and worked through with their team and so on and so forth they are going to remember these five people for long right like and it has nothing to do with what we do essentially what stoa does mm. but it is everything to do with how that team decided to work together and sort of push through those 24 hours right yeah i mean i went on a rank <laughs> there but so community is as much about like just to summarize it is as much as about what you choose to do what you choose not to do and how do you create this sense of belonging it is also about drama so communities which are very plain linear oh let's come together every saturday and like you know have some fantastic conversation they will disintegrate at some point there needs to be some drama right there needs to be some conflict there needs to be some shared experiences that sort of make sure that the community experience is not linear but is sort of you know uh, more rhythmic in that sense and every community will go through a patch where engagement seems to be dropping off hmm. and community manager will be like oh am i doing something wrong and like what can i do to make it right at stoa we have understood that there are cycles so there will be patches where community won't engage and if you actually force to like you know if you try to drive engagement it actually backfires because people are not in that mind space something might be happening at work maybe it is the month end which means everybody is like you know has some targets or i don't know what is happening right or for example diwali or christmas or so something might be happening with everyone's life and sometimes it's okay to be let it be not trying to overdo things right yeah yeah you you must have found me smiling at multiple uh, you know places because there were so many things that you mentioned which resonated at uh, you know a lot of what we you know what we talk about as well you know when we talk to you know in, in our actually in our pitch to some of these owners and founders and people who are trying to build a culture in the company we actually tell them that see this is a solved problem look at mass religion look at politicians who have always managed to influence people without actually being in the same room right so right. the importance of these rituals and another thing that we've been doing for the last two and a half uh, uh, years is something called as ctq compounds you know where we actually help people build habits of re- reading so people mm-hmm. sign up uh, for a six month program and uh, we've done 20 cohorts uh, already uh, and people it's a shared experience for them uh, they read together there is a common article that is shared with them they read they engage with it there are you know like you said there are you know rules set well in advance in terms of what is allowed what is not allowed and then there is a seat compounds forever group where you know members of all different cohorts our future stack daily reader they all can interact sundays we you know we do something you know where where we share some bonus reads what people have written uh, and all of that so i could see all that you have talked about especially the fact about not trying to over engineer <laughs> engagement as well extremely important so yeah thanks thanks that was uh, you know that was really a validation of <laughs> all that we've been seeing and uh, you know doing ourselves so a, a follow up question you know on uh, what you've been doing right um, so is this a a culmination or if not a culmination a, a manifestation of what you have done in your previous companies that has helped you put together uh, stoa school yes uh, not just me right like i i would say it is some total of all like first 10 people at stoa in terms of 
what was our primary interest and what we were trying to do and uh, so on and so forth. So for example, Raj and Sharmat, uh, who were uh, another co-founders at Stoa, they were building Nova Semita, which was a ISA-based coding bootcamp. And they have been building communities on Flickr, I don't know, what not, since they were in class 10th. Mm-hmm. They ran the Astronomy uh, Society of uh, Goa, they were into astrophysics, astrophotography. And they have always been community builders right from when they were in school. Yeah. I was always fascinated by bringing people together. And I think everybody, first 10 people at Straw, all were educators before they sort of decided to be on the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, the thing about education is, it is, you know, people keep speaking of, keep talking about impact, 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 and so on. There is no better place than education to actually see impact, right? Because right. I mean, everybody creates impact, like even in a, let's say, software, or like a big organization. It's just that a lot of times the impact is not visible. To us, we were always, all of us were driven by seeing the impact. Even before STOA, we launched STOA, we went through a six, nine month experimentation I was trying to create a community of teenagers and like, you know, around emotional intelligence, emotional well-being and so on and so forth. Rajan Sharma were doing Noah Samita. Shelton, who is now leads our community, was at Noah Samita building Noah Samita's community. Then when we started working together, we first tried to reach out to YouTubers and like, you know, uh, folks who had any audience to reach out to them and saying, hey, we understand what learning communities are and we understand the dynamics of learning communities and we will help you create community. That experiment sort of did not work out because, you know, it was not primarily, uh, you know, the other person's motivation to build a learning community and we were frustrated because we were working on their timelines and so on and so forth. So all of that sort of, you know, some total of, uh, for example, Raj earlier had set up an offline uh, alternate learning center in Goa where kids used to come and hang around like college, uh, eight, nine student kids. And then parents would force OJE and this and that. Why are you doing this alternate stuff? And the kids would drop out, right? So we were primarily in K-12 space. And what we realized there is, you know, even the kids were having fantastic time with us. The decision makers were other people, teachers and parents and on and so forth. And then when we went through this six months of experimentation, offering other people to build their learning community, what we realized is any community that has a specific outcome defined has much better chance of success. Like if it is about career transitions, people are already serious. If it is about building their own business, people are already serious and people have agency. And that is how we moved into the adult learning space. Hmm. where we said like here people have agency they have strong motivations to do something that they like you know decide to pursue and then what was interesting to us was i had an mba raj did not have mba and that conversation was like hey like what would if i were to design a program for raj Hmm. what would that program look like and that is how the whole curriculum sort of shaped up and you know then last nine months uh, everybody largely we have built in public so most people know what happened in the last nine months Right, right. And and how has that experience been, especially since, you know, it was a, in the middle of the pandemic? How did, you know, that have any impact or role in, in how things have shaped up? No, totally. I mean, uh, you know, one part is business education. And when I said earlier also, right, better decision making where personal and professional life. What pandemic really did was it forced people to build new relationships, which was a blessing for us because we came at the right time, right? Like if our launch had happened, let's say in 2019, I'm not really sure, right? And we are very honest with this, right? 
I mean, even the pandemic has impacted our lives negatively for most of us. Uh, as a business, at least it worked for us because people were anyway stuck in home and they were looking for building new relationships and so on. So the first 25 people who joined Stoa's community were all rebels in that sense and they were sort of restless sitting at home and so on and so forth. Uh, I guess a lot of us also struggled through personal crisis, uh, you know, not just uh, on the health front, but maybe breakups and just feeling confused. And uh, so all of that sort of added to what, what happened at Stoa. Now, as let's say the first wave sort of went away, then the question for us also as a business was, hey, is this really sustainable? What will happen when, you know, the people get out of home? Will they have time to spend on learning? Will they continue to uh, uh, spend time on learning? So we made certain changes to the program to sort of address that gap. But largely now, we have built a very strong conviction that, you know, if people are able to meet newer people and they're able to learn new things and they're able to sort of accelerate their journey through these 24 weeks, hmm. whatever they want to achieve, this stoa is here to stay right and uh, in that sense you know a lot of times if you go to all these investment meetings and so on so the question is oh how will you win the market and so on and i generally think that education is not a winner takes it all market in that sense right like always find very interesting niche people let me put it underappreciated talent which is much more ambitious which is looking for something better hmm. as long as stoa becomes that honest broker right like so I actually picked up this term, uh, I think Paul Graham tweeted one of the substacks written by some piano trainer or something like that. And I think the role that we are really playing here is being that honest broker, right? And not just bringing like hiring partners and let's say investors together with entrepreneurs and people looking for better jobs. But we are actually giving them a sort of commandment or you know values that will stay for them to succeed as entrepreneur or as early stage uh, you know or, or startup folks uh, for example one of the things we keep often repeating is life in general and business in general is positive some gain and it is so rare because in our education system we have always been told that like education is a zero sum game right like if you don't like only 1500 people uh, can go to IM ABC and everyone else is like not not good. Hmm. So from that mindset to saying that, you know, even I mean you might be competing with someone, which is fair game, but you should pray for their success as well. It's uh, so for example, even in our community, we have people who are building educational businesses and they are learning of our cohort-based model, which is totally fine, right? Like so right. and we we actually, you know, said no to someone in cohort one. Because we felt, Are, this person will like copy what we are doing. <laughs> and then we really sat down and said, Ki, Are, do we really care? Like, you know, if this person succeeds, we will, we can still claim that success for ourselves because, you know, this person was a store fellow. So how does it matter if they copy? And since then, like our approach changed, we said, okay, if you want to learn, come here, feel free to copy what we are doing, right? And uh, it also sort of, makes your business inherently better. Like we have come around, or at least I personally have come around to that viewpoint that instead of just holding back and saying, oh, this is my secret sauce or whatever, right? Like, you know, even, I mean, you will see this over the next two, three months. We're probably going to just put out, right? Like here is our curriculum. Here is the way we uh, sort of do things. Here is how we are looking at growing our business. Just going to put out there uh, because ultimately 
comes down to execution and there are just so many moving parts to delivering a great educational experience right, right? it's all uh, in that sense like if you look at elon musk right he wrote down like his whatever 10 year path to building a ev yeah, company yeah. anybody could have copied that right? like volkswagen could have copied that and gm could have copied that but the thing is unless you are passionate about solving that problem right? like you can start with a lot of enthu right like anybody can start a stoa like program with a lot of enthu but until you are inherently passionate about this community building you are passionate about we genuinely believe right like so for example we often hear about american dream and like you know bootstrapping your way to success and hard work always pays off and so on and so forth what is indian dream and i think that's a very interesting question for a institution like stoa to answer what is indian dream today is it uh, to build your own business is it to build services business is it to build for the world build in india you know not just from an entrepreneurs point of view but also people who don't want to be entrepreneurs but are looking for exciting challenges mm-hmm. and once you sort of look from that meta angle right and you keep going back to sort of that thought process i think what happens on a tactical day to day basis also becomes much easier like the decision making becomes much easier because you are going after something so big that what really matters is whether you are customer obsessed and customer centric rather than what everyone else is doing and whether uh, you know who is raising how much and things sort of start to i mean you start to see through things and really try to find what is at the core of your business and what is interesting about stoa is we are in the business we are teaching about business and almost everything that we sort of talk about on a daily basis we are forced to reflect back on that right so yesterday i wrote a prompt on emotional intelligence as a leader i wrote that prompt and as i was writing it and you know i was reviewing it and editing it i was already self reflecting and then i think one of our team members posted it on our company uh, whatsapp group and said hey, this is such a nice prompt and uh, to me it was like <laughs> is this like you know is this a comment on uh which is fair right like because you also lose your shit sometimes in the moment you also react impulsively and so on and so forth but at the same time we are teaching people about you know or if not us whoever is coming as a faculty is teaching people about emotional intelligence and how to stay calm in situations of conflict and crisis that is something very interesting about these last 9 months right like you're not only teaching and talking about something but you're simultaneously practicing it i hope more business schools in you know or more people who are let's say i mean i would any day learn about coding from let's say aws team or you know somebody who's building crazy products i would learn from them because as i learn let's say 6 months with them they are also learning something about building products and so on and so forth and if they are vulnerable enough to share that with me I mean, my affiliation or my affinity towards coding will be much stronger because I can see the purpose. I can see how someone else is doing it. So, in that context, last nine months have been very interesting. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, if you think about where Stoa is today and what are the potential futures, and and I'm I'm a big fan of not thinking of one future because there'll never be. You know, forecasting is not the thing. You need to think of futures. rather than one uh, future right so is there a a future where you're going to stand for the whole alternative bit for education not just mba 
but um, you know from homeschooling to no schooling and do you see yourself as say the you know the equivalent of a peter thiel in in us who you know who gave this fellowship for uh, anyone who's going to drop out and all of that i mean we still haven't seen any success anywhere close to what peter thiel has seen right so but in terms of the future right especially when it comes to education we are very opinionated uh, both uh, raj and me i mean i also mentioned that you know we went through all that alternative schooling uh this and that and in general our sense is how can we i mean if if you have to imagine the future of education the fundamental problem is it has been a overly regulated space correct right? for example if i have to start up these school and start offering degrees i need somebody with phd and the question to ask is why or if you look at schooling it's like oh you need bed and uh, whatever what not right or med or why uh, and how can you we how can we get the best of people to teach but not limit their financial outcomes to teaching like how do you i think that has been the fundamental problem with education that the best people who could be teaching don't want to teach because it doesn't pay well i think if we fundamentally solve that problem and we might solve it in very narrow sense of let's say business education but in general this homeschooling no schooling micro schooling there are all these uh, you know variants when you look at k12 what could be really interesting is just breaking down these boundaries between academia and career right whether it is k12 whether it is college whether it is adult learning or upskilling how can you really make people like that open door kind of thing right like where people come maybe teach kids for two months or one month and then go back right like that is like this is how you do your sabbatical you come from let's say a big industry like you know big company like let's say microsoft or infosys and tcs you go back to the classroom you share what you have to share with the kids and then you go back right and there are these community managers who essentially then take care of making sure that there is consistency of experience and uh, so on and so forth so in that sense these community builders then become the central piece so you are essentially separating out the responsibility of teaching from actually you know making sure that somebody has a great ex- educational experience mm-hmm. just splitting that responsibility right like i'm not sure if it happens today but when i was in school my primary school we just had one teacher for everything right and they may not have subject expertise to teach everything but they were able to build amazing consistency build relationship with every student in their class because it was just one teacher right and inherently that model doesn't work because then you are essentially compromising on the subject knowledge and then you have other model in uh, high school which we had was there was a different teacher for each subject there was still a class teacher but class teacher was also subject teacher versus let's say a community manager with you know all these uh, teachers who are teaching uh, so and who teaches and how like you know what is their uh, motivation for teaching and are they bringing practical life experience to teaching and then are we really learning what matters right? like so a lot of my mba curriculum i now in hindsight feel it was useless are the curriculums responsive to what is happening in the world are they relevant right you would often see all these tweets so we should be teaching financial literacy to teachers uh, children now we should right. be teaching entrepreneurship to but kya kya padhaoge na so ultimately the, the community manager or somebody needs to be responsible for understanding what is relevant what needs to be taught what what is not needed from what was being taught curriculum is being responsive who is teaching the who is teaching that being responsive and so on and so forth 
and this is already happening maybe outside of school right now right like was out school i think it's a very interesting model where you know you work with the teacher for five six sessions and they can teach anything right like they can teach the most random stuff which is interesting to children and but yeah i mean that's the future of education in that my sense right like where curriculums are responsive who teaches is very fluid in that sense like people have an open door with the industry right yeah yeah there are still lot more topics uh, you know to talk about but i think uh, you know we'll we'll uh, co- conclude this probably this is going to be part one of our many conversations aditya uh, so i'm going to conclude this and you know in, in the end we usually have this short section where we ask for the guest hot takes on uh, you know the future relevance of of some things so you've covered lot of things but what do you think is the future relevance of you know online cohort based learning courses in india sure i think they will become institutions in themselves right like these will become uh, household brand names they will have value in the mar- marriage market right like so come you come from stoa i mean there is no reason why stoashadi.com can't exist or 10kdesignershadi.com can't exist or newtonshadi.com i'm guessing that that will be uh, when these brands become household names right like then this sector as a whole would have truly arrived right okay what is the future relevance of b schools in india the traditional b schools in india i think the top 15 20 25 b schools will continue to thrive and will continue to attract the best talent but the long tail of crappy b schools uh, they will go out of business they will be essentially eaten by all this online education right and and final one what is the uh, future relevance of product startup companies in india no i mean ultimately uh, tech sorry tech product startup yeah, that's what i meant hmm. for example if you look at saas i think uh, the next 10 years is going to be an amazing ride for uh, indian saas companies in fact if there was a etf or a index fund which just like you know takes a bet on indian uh, saas companies i would happily invest and buy as much as whatever liquidity i have right like i have very strong feeling that uh, this uh, sector will take off now where my uh, sort of where i think things could be better is just the talent right like look at productivity and so on and so forth like we still have very bloated organizations when it comes to product and like what a instagram if you see 10% team could do i i'm guessing probably in india we'll still need like 100% team to pull it off hmm. in terms of productivity in terms of our product thinking in terms of just having that product culture we have a long way to go but irrespective of that i think uh, our tech product companies will uh, sort of go along with all right thanks thanks a lot arith this is a fantastic i think one hour long conversation had to put an end to this but uh, i i think we can go on there are a lot of topics that uh, you know i can pick your brains on and and have a have an engaging uh, conversation thanks a lot for this arith thank you for having me arish uh, it was wonderful you know just putting you know some structure to everything that keeps hanging in the brains <laughs> just a uh, good chat good chat